Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consensual. I'm Leah, and on this podcast, I'm going to be joined by Lorian, Ayla, and our special guest, Nicole. So, Nicole is a fourth year medical student and also a graduate research student from a school in the Northeast. Uh, she actually reached out to us after listening to our podcast on Title IX, and we want to talk a little bit more about that as well as violence in STEM and the recording process and the healing process. I just want to give a brief disclaimer that we did have some technical difficulties while recording this episode, uh, so some of the segments may sound a little different and the audio can get a little choppy, but it's nothing that you can't hear during. Uh, we're doing our best to record remotely and with guests with the resources we have, uh, but we apologize for those issues. But yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. start by talking about um like in these relationships um whether they're a casual relationship like a work relationship or a romantic relationship what are like some warning signs that they could turn dangerous um and essentially we're just talking about like how to recognize abuse so um I mean, by no means am I an ex- expert on any of this. I'm just really speaking on my experience and mm-hmm. um, my perspective. And so this is just coming from me. But I think one of the things is that it's so hard to recognize because if you're the person that's in the situation, you never see it coming or you don't know it's happening to you until you tell somebody and they say, you know, what what's happening to you is wrong or no one should treat you that way. I think a lot of the times we are kind of almost in denial and don't want to believe that somebody is capable of hurting us, especially when it's someone that we trust, if it's a supervisor, if it's someone in a high position, or even someone that's our friend that we um, have known for a while. Mm-hmm. So in terms of some of the like danger signs or some of the signs to be aware of, it would be you know, someone who just outright doesn't respect you or listen to you and doesn't take an interest in what you're saying. Um, I think respect is a two-way street and that's um, a big one. And so like if your gut is telling you something's off, you should always just listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, other signs could be someone who's very demanding of your time or of your energy and not understanding. Um, someone who limits you, who doesn't let you spend time with your friends, uh, with your family, doesn't let you study um, or even enjoy the things that you like to do by yourself. So if you like to do yoga or read, that person's just always trying to take advantage of all your time. Mm-hmm. That should be a sign that, you know, there's something more going on. Um, and there's other things, like if you know the other person to have trust issues on there, you know, before you met them or um, doesn't like to be involved, or if they isolate you and aren't supportive and you don't feel like they have your best interest at heart are some of the signs yeah definitely um this kind of leads into our next question about like how it can be so hard to recognize abuse which you kind of touched on like it's very easy to or not just easy like a lot of the time most everybody can deny like any instance of abuse or harassment or anything um and I think a lot of that is because of like uh like our like rape culture in the way that you know, we're immediately, as much as, like, even, like, me, like, as a person, like, in SFOC, as much as I talk about, like, you know, like, am anti-victim blaming and, like, am 100%, like, it's never, like, the clothes that you wear or anything like that. In any instance, like, 
I still immediately start questioning like what I did wrong and like what I was wearing or like what I was saying and like the many ways it could be my fault um so yeah yeah I think that um both Leah and Nicole I think you touched on some really interesting points there especially it made me think about um Nicole, when you were kind of talking about it's really hard to, like, accept that someone close to you or someone in a position of power could ever do something abusive. Um, I feel like that is also really true for uh, schools and, like, administration in schools and the workplace and administration in the workplace. I feel like it's really difficult for schools to admit to themselves that, you know, there's maybe something abusive going on in their own, on their own campus, or um, for someone to admit in the workplace that a joke went too far, and it's not even just your own intuition that can get in the way, um, or your own thinking or overthinking that can get in the way, but I think that it's really difficult for anybody to accept, and that's maybe why it's even more difficult to, to get help from people because it's really hard for anyone to accept that somebody could do something so harmful. The amount of like victim blaming or like silencing of abuse and harassment and all of that is a really good way to illustrate how like systemic issues and personal or like not personal but like individual um, issues like case by case things like join together because like there's a lot of victim blaming systemically but it's also something that can happen like on the individual basis where like you know like one person blames you or one person doesn't believe you or you don't believe yourself yeah absolutely I think um for me like I always thought I was independent and you know I was working really hard for my education and you know I wasn't in a relationship at all and it was really just my family and my friends that were my support system so I thought I was like a strong independent female like the Beyonce song was like me <laughs> but then you know you meet somebody and they're in the position of power and you um believe what they say and you don't want to believe it and so for me a lot of it was exactly what you said Leah like what did I do wrong you know so I would start wearing baggy clothing like I'm an extra small but I would wear large and extra large sweatpants and you know sweatshirt just to look you know unattractive and stop wearing makeup and things like that but there comes a point where I would tell myself, no, like, this is wrong. Like, that person should be able to control themselves. And it's not an excuse, you know, showing, you know, looking nice. I shouldn't purposely have to look, you know, drab or ugly <laughs> just to, you know, it's just wrong. And I think a lot of people do that, not, not realizing it. And it wasn't until a counselor, like, I finally started talking to, like, a mental health counselor just because I had, I felt like I had no confidence and that it was the first time in my entire life I've ever felt like this. And I wanted to get like coaching and, and how to be confident again. And so it wasn't until I started telling her things that were happening to me that she was literally horrified. And she was like, you're in danger, like get out. You need to get mm -hmm. safe. Like this is wrong, everything is wrong. So um, that was a big part of it for me. I think that kind of ties in like a lot of what we're talking about. We're like, we're gonna talk more about like the importance of having a support system and like going further than just um, like people you know and like the stigma about counseling. And then yeah, also definitely the victim blaming and like how that can all uh, kind of come together. And um, more on like talking about like recognizing abuse because it seems like in your situation, like it's 
you may have known something not great was happening because obviously you were trying to avoid it. So like talking about like listening to your intuition in that and like how it can be helpful, even if um, you're still struggling to like, you know, be honest with yourself and tell yourself what's happening. Like you still know that something's wrong and that you might need help. And I feel like, like if you're ever feeling like that, you know, who to tell and like what you should go, how to go from there. Yeah, so this is a really big um, point that I think girls, not even just women in graduate school, but girls in high school need to know. Um, And it's something that really isn't taught. So, you know, when you think about like what you're studying and learning in, in high school, that should also entail like leadership skills and who you are as a person. So like the well-roundedness, it's not just math and science and English. It's about being a leader. It's about knowing who you are, your own skills and your own qualities, as well as your weaknesses. So if you know your weaknesses, you can use that to your advantage. You know, so if you know you're somebody who always says yes and you have a hard time saying no to things because you always want to be helpful, you know, people can take advantage of that, unfortunately, um, down the road. And so it's important to learn how to say no manage your time um, and have a strong voice so that, you know, you're not being mean, you're, you know, it's not going to have people disrespect you. It just means that you're a strong person and you know what you want and you're going after what matters. So with intuition, um, one of my biggest regrets is that I had my abuser tell me that my intuition was wrong and to stop listening to it. And scientifically, there's research journals and literature all about intuition and how important it is so intuition like the essence of that word is the ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning and intuition is something that's unique to every single person so my intuition is different from yours you know from everybody's which is a good thing because we're all different and what makes us all unique but when someone tells you to stop listening to your gut um, or stop listening to your your instinct like what you're thinking um, that's very wrong, and that's something my my abuser did to me. Um, it was even more like I got very angry because there, he was, a, you know, a professor. Or I should say is slash was a professor at um, the university, but he even says um, in his research that some, you know, and I quote, "Sometimes our intuition, sometimes our intuition is wrong," um, you know, and this was like published and it's out there, and now for me to know that he's capable of such abuse and, and using that to go after victims. It just makes me very angry that um, that's out there. I even asked the university to take it down because it's very misleading. So, Yeah, that's crazy to me that that would be, yeah, that would be able to pub- be able to be published. And I think that also like when we're talking about like power dynamics um, and like how that can a lot of the time like be both a result of, or, like, sexual assault or, like, abuse or anything could be a result of power dynamics, but it also, like, feeds into it further. I think that that's a really great example of it because, you know, he's, uh, like, your abuser was, like, using their power of, like, obviously as, like, a published professor and, like, somebody who, like, has credentials um, to kind of further a narrative that allows them to, you know, wield his power over other people who obviously don't deserve that. And, like, it's kind of, you know, because, like, I have, I'm in high school, so, like, I haven't experienced that in my life, but, like, there are so many stories of, um, especially, like, college professors and especially people in STEM that 
know that are very aware of their power and like actively choose to use it and uh, to harm other people. I was wondering, you know, after going through what you've gone through and kind of knowing what you do now about intuition, um, what would you tell yourself or advise yourself or like maybe even advise others about, you know, how to make sure that you that you are listening to your intuition and especially for those that, like you said, haven't had the education to be able to be so confident and um, to understand really who they are and how to listen to their intuition, you know, what kind of advice would you give? others and if not others yourself about how to how to do that for yourself um I think that's a really good question and I think I'll just all everyone everyone is in a different situation and no situations situations are the same but so I think if I was going to speak myself um the advice I'd give myself is um Trusting your own intuition is the ultimate act of trusting yourself. And so you can never have somebody else. You have to be your own advocate always. Um, always, I think, in, in your education and if you're doing sports, you know, whatever you're doing, you have to be your own biggest advocate. And so it's, you know, it's hard to explain what it is. But if there's something in your gut or just that first thing that goes through your mind when something's wrong or even when something's right listen to yourself like you know yourself the most like you know your favorite color you know your favorite food you know what you want you know you know yourself the most and never ever let anybody anybody tell you otherwise like and I you know even parents or siblings like they're not you like they're not they don't have your mind they don't have your brain they don't know what you think about all the time so I think it's just trusting yourself and just if you want something say it if you don't want something say it um, I think that's very important, especially for young girls, because I think we're just taught like in high school and grade school, we're just taught there's still this stigma or these stereotypes of what good girls do. And, you know, what was she wearing or, you know, which is so wrong, you know, these abusers are, are predators. And so, you know, they, they, and they go after sometimes the nicest people that are easy, that they think are easy to manipulate or easy to control. Um, and in my case, it was a, like over a year because I was just so embarrassed and ashamed because I never in a million years thought this would happen to me. And mm-hmm. so when, you know, it took about a year to finally start saying something. But just listen to yourself always is what I'd say. Yeah. Right. I love what Sorry. you were saying about um, just like how important it is to be able to establish like boundaries and, and trust that you know what you want and what you don't want. And how that it's like, it's not just something that we need to teach in like a health class for 30 minutes, but like, it's something that is established in every single part of our lives and, and should, should be in all of our classes and should be taught by everyone, including our parents and including like all the teachers we've ever had. And no matter how like young or old you are and, and that it is just like, so it's just so intertwined in like every part of of who we are and like how we interact with people like it, it's like it's definitely super ignored especially for for like young women and like how they are being treated like in like professionally too yeah i think um that i i think the biggest thing is that you know the people that do bad things um don't want you to tell anybody of course they don't so of course they're going to make you feel 
sad and down and doubt yourself and make you feel so low that you're literally just want to like shrivel up and like fade away. And that's what they want. So the, the best thing you could do is, you know, take the time you need, but then say something. And it's, it's so hard to say. There's so many women that still don't say anything. But, you know, come to terms with what happened and not be ashamed. Like, what was done to you was, you know, done, but it doesn't make it okay. And, 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 it, and just a reminder that nobody deserves it ever. Um, so for me, I know that my abuser wanted me to be silenced out of fear. Like, I know he wanted me to be scared about my, you know, my medical degree, about the research I was doing at the university. But to me, it's more important to stand up for this. And so I think that's how I found my voice for not just for me, but for for girls and women who don't and can't speak out. So, yeah, I do think it's it's very important to, like, give yourself that time to heal. And like, um, like reporting is not something that everybody wants to do and that everybody feels comfortable doing, which is obviously understandable because, um, you know, it isn't always great. Um, so I was thinking we could talk a little bit about like, from like how easy was the reporting process and like, what is it like to have to go through that? And, um, kind of like, how could it be better? So I can only speak about my personal experience. Um, and it's not advice, uh, out there, but just sharing what I have went through and am going through, um, so normally there's, I guess, a website that you can submit your complaints or notifications in anonymously, or you can put your name. Um, for me, I did not know that this existed. I didn't even know what Title IX was. Um, and I didn't even know where to go on the website. When you Google it, it doesn't even come up for, you know, when you t- type in Johns Hopkins Title IX, it's not the first thing that comes up. It's buried. So for me, I reported it a different way, the only way I knew how, which was by sending emails to someone that I thought would be responsible enough to um, do something about what was happening. Um, and given the position uh, and the extreme privilege of power that my abuser had, um, it was something that called for attention um, because it was being hidden for so long. Um, And so normally you would find the information, um, do it on the website, go in person or uh, make a phone call. I still don't know any of these steps that are available at the university I was at. Um, Now, I think that the most important thing is that everybody needs to know about Title IX and how was it that I was there for almost three years doing research and I didn't even know that this existed. Um, and so I think that universities need to disseminate information widely. It has to be more than just a footnote at the end of a website linking to another website to some anon- anonymous um, form that students can fill out. So either if it's through posters in buildings or campus groups that are visible, um, I think it needs to be known. It can't just be, you know, something that isn't talked about. And remember that so much goes unreported, especially in STEM positions and STEM fields. And of course, it's going to be to the benefit of the university because they don't have to deal with what's going on and the hardships and 
looking into faculty or students, um, faculty in particular because they bring in research and supposedly they're supposed to be of high ethical standards. Um, and so, so much of it goes unreported. And even if that's a benefit to the university, it's at the safety and the wellness of students, which has lifelong effects, which are horrific. Um, and I really need to say that for international students and immigrant students who have almost no rights when it comes to Title IX, all the resources that are available are not available to these these groups. And I don't think people realize that. So for visiting students or visiting research students, um, what they have is minimal in terms of mental health or counselors or housing or where they can go. Um, these no contact orders, you know, if you're a regular student, you get to have a dorm placement to another place that you can stay while you do your work. You get to have campus security walking you around. But the circumstances are very drastically different for another subset of groups. And so it's almost like it gives this target onto international students, immigrant students, visiting students, where people, faculty or other students can take advantage of them and rape, molest, assault, knowing that they have zero rights in terms of Title IX if it were to be reported. Um, and again, like this also covers spouses of faculty or spouses of staff who report abuse. Um, it's really awful how much is lacking, especially at Johns Hopkins, where you would assume and think that this would be one of the first places to address these issues, but it's not. Something needs to change. It really does. Wow. Yeah. Um, you can tell that there's a lot of issues uh, within the reporting process, um, you know, and multifaceted issues too, especially like what you were saying about um, like immigrant students or, you know, visiting people um, and things clearly do have to change. So I was kind of just on top of that wondering about like what responsibilities uh, does the university have and, um, you know, what do they need to supply to you and uh what do you like in that situation what do you get well you know when i started to speak to the investigator i made it very clear that i was coming forward because something needed to change and unless i said something my abuser would go unnoticed and it would happen again and again and again and if not him it would be somebody else doing it to other women um, and so, you know, there, there are standards and there's like the basics of what you need to cover and provide for support um, and what you do in terms of, you know, all the legal stuff and um, was there a policy violation, yes or no. But then there's also the responsibility, just the ethical side of it and being a good person. Like, if you don't want to be touched by a faculty or a student, you don't want to be touched. Yeah, so clearly there are, you know, some level of standards um, that people have to meet, like legally and all of that. Um, you know, the way that the reporting process kind of swoops you up. Um, but things obviously aren't where they should be right now. 
um, and to kind of close out this conversation on reporting, um, what sort of like advice um, would you give to any uh, anybody, you know, high school or college student, whatever, who is um, looking into reporting and like currently like, you know, looking at their options through Title IX? Uh, yeah, just like what would you tell them? What I would say for anyone who's um, kind of thinking about the Title IX and if they need to report it, you really need to, even before you report it, I cannot stress enough how important it is to just stop and breathe and take a minute and get support. You have to tell somebody because the process will drain you and it's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't do it alone. Like you need someone to, to just tell um you know, what's going on. And then once you're kind of in the right mind frame and, and are not, and can like speak about it. I mean, I sometimes get still very choked up about things cause I can't even believe it happened to me. Um, but so once you're able to report it, um, they just kind of take over from there. So. I'm really sorry that you went through that. And I'm really sorry that like, you know, the process seems like it could I mean I know that it could because like there's been like research on it like can be like re-traumatizing for uh people who have experienced uh abuse or assault or anything and um I feel like that's awful and I I definitely agree that you emphasize like um you know take a second and or not take more than a second take as much time as you need like for yourself to like think um not only to like clear your head but like to move through other steps of support so like you know having people around you or like you said like getting professional help and all of that and um think about if you even want to go through that uh reporting process because for some people like they do because like you said like you want them to like you know they don't you they might not like deserve their job or like you need people to know that what they did was wrong and like you need that for yourselves um which is very valid, um, but then there are also people who aren't interested in going through um, all of that, and I think, like, that's just a really important, like, step in the process of healing is, like, really thinking with yourself, like, where do you want to go from here, because, like, everybody's different, and, like, everybody experience, like, you know, no two experiences are exactly the same, Uh, so I think that's really important. It's kind of, it's so, like, disheartening to, like, like read all the story and like hear all the stories of people reporting especially through schools and like how these corporations kind of like these like these businesses even in education that like how they deal with um these these reporting these instances of reporting coming up because it's like sometimes it feels like they it's they're more concerned just about like fixing the problem and then pushing it away so they don't have to like think about it anymore and no one has to hear about it anymore rather than actually like empathizing at all with the survivor who's actually experienced like this terrible thing and it's so like just about like you know like getting all the details and and making sure that like they have all their ducks in a row rather than like actually like sitting down and being like okay, like, like, how can we help you? Like, what can we do for you? And like, how can we get through this so that you feel best like heard and best, like feel like best, things are best taken care of, like how they should be. And like, so we don't re-traumatize you or we, or at least we like do everything that we can not to. And it's just like, I have not heard a single person like 
tell a story that, like and say that that's how it went for them and it's just really like I, I don't understand it yeah it's 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 shocking I mean obviously it wasn't I never thought it was going to be easy but I thought it would be a bit more fair in terms of you know if there was a like it took um I would I, you know there was one day where I talked to the Title IX investigator for almost two and a half hours of just saying, you know, just telling him what had happened. And after we hung up the phone, it took me probably about a week and a half to just, I just felt so low. It took about a week and a half to then do the second call of another two and a half hours. It was just so draining. And yeah, you're being re-traumatized and victimized, but then you know, later and months later, you realize that there's people, you know, my abuser has friends who also are directors and professors at the university. And, you know, of course, they're going to support him because they don't know that side of him. Like, they've never seen him full of rage and violent. They just know him teaching in front of a class. Um, so, you know, and then there's all, it, it's literally probably like, I, I was going to say worse than high school <laughs> in terms of just cliques and then how it's just, it go, it really, it's like children because they're picking sides and is this true and she's lying, but then why would she be lying? And is he's right. And he's a professor. Why would he, you know, do these things? Um, so you have to really be prepared for the worst really. And there's no way to prepare for it except for just knowing and knowing who you are and speaking the truth and just trusting the process. Yeah, that sounds like just on top of everything, like having had to go through like abuse or assault and then like going through all the like conversations with people and like in the investigation and stuff. And then on top of that, like even if however much you know what happened was wrong to still have people who aren't supporting you and aren't agreeing with you just because of like like you said, like, stupid, like, clicks and stuff like that. I think that's kind of, like, we've been talking about power dynamics, like, and how that can result in, like, assault, but, like, that's another way where it's, it, like, there are these group, like, these groups of people who will all back each other, and, you know, just because, like, they haven't seen that side of them, like, like you said, or, um, you know, they just, or they don't care, or they want, they'd rather not lose their job, like, maybe they're, like you know a lot of them could be awful and it's it's just really and like a really sad situation that like leaves a lot of people powerless yeah I think the biggest thing you know is that the hardest things to grasp is that this happens in STEM at like prestigious universities and I think for me I really was in denial because how could this person who, you know, does this research, uh, you know, and works at this university be capable of this? And so I think a lot, sometimes people don't realize, like, this happens to everybody. It doesn't matter what you studied. It doesn't matter what your job is. It happens in careers with lawyers and doctors and engineers. It's not just a celebrity or Hollywood thing. Um, this is an, in STEM and it's rampant. It's just not spoken about um, and the more privileged and trusted positions that are taken advantage of, the e the more unheard and silenced it becomes. And it's not until you have people like Anita Hill in 1999 or Christine Blasey Ford in 2018 and other women who have spoken up where you kind of get the strength to, to say, you know, you know, 
this is wrong and, and, and something has to be said. And sadly, though, it is often the strongest women who have the courage and strength to speak the truth that the abusers will always try to find a way to further victimize them. Um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is the on the Supreme Court justice, she was blamed like she someone tried to say that she was mentally ill because she was such a big feminist and stood up for uh, gender based discrimination and human rights. And so I think one of the easiest things is for men to usually say that women have, you know, they're just emotional or they have um, mental health problems or they're going through the period, um, things like that. But it just shows the ground truth of who the abuser is, the behavioral patterns, how low they're going just to cover their, you know, cover what they did. I think it's also um, important to note that, especially in STEM, almost a little more often than in, in other fields of study uh, in universities, that um, students really spend a lot of time with their professors. You know, um, you're, you're always doing research, or maybe you're you're doing part of one of your professor's studies, personal studies with them, or you know, you're using their lab or you're using their materials and, you know, you're, you're kind of always around your professor and you need a lot of uh, approval from your professor to be able to actually um, go further up and, you know, succeed. And that just puts you at so much more of a risk, I guess, you know, if these are people who are in high positions of power and in STEM, uh, you're just constantly around them. It gives them so much more opportunity to not only take advantage of you, but to also learn more about who you are and like what your behaviors are, how you act, how you react, um, and be able to to play you and and um, exploit you even further. Kind of what you were saying to kind of press women down. Um, and lie and and just make it seem like they're just being dramatic and you know if a professor knows that under pressure you don't necessarily do very well they can play that to their you know it's just it's very difficult situation when you are in university or college and it is a professor who who is abusing Ayla you said it like like bang on like it's it's so true and it, it's in stem it's such a big problem because um it's it's one of those unique areas where women and, and girls you you rely on your supervisor you rely on your the person that's overlooking your work or and often sometimes the person that's also abusing you but that person also controls your funding or grants and you're and paying you for the work you're doing um so if if you don't do something that they're demanding of they can control you now not getting paid um they can withhold reference letters they can tarnish your name and say very bad things to you to other professors or universities you want to go to you know stem is this sounds like a really big field but a, but it's not like everything's dependent and everyone you know it's a small little world in itself too so of course women are scared about having a bad reference letter or you know other directors talking negatively and saying you know outward lies about them but also i think people forget that um women and girls are often alone in lab like you have um hours around the clock sometimes you're in lab checking on your experiments at three o'clock in the morning when it's dark and there's nobody around 
except for your supervisor. And so that is a very um, isolated place where nobody sees or hears anything. And you can trust your supervisor, you know, until you can't. Um, there was a, there was two um, really big stories with two men that came out all in the academic journals and newspapers. Um, Inder Vermat scripts came out and there was many women who from years and years ago um, finally said that, you know, things that he was doing to them and the sexual harassment. He ended up resigning um, before he could get fired or, or any of that stuff. Um, but that came out. And another one was a scientist, David Marchand, who um, abused uh, his female research um, PhD grad students in Antarctica. So here you are in the most remote place in the entire world. And as a woman, like to go to even to go to the bathroom, you have to do, undo all your layers just to go pee. Um, there was, I remember reading, there was a grad student who, you know, she would be undoing her layers just to go to the bathroom. And he would literally make fun of her and verbally abuse her. But then he would pick up rocks and throw rocks at her while she was going to the bathroom. It was just the most bizarre, you know, thing. Like, how is this even happening? But this happens everywhere around the world um, to scientists and researchers. And it's just not talked about, it, you know, a lot of the time. And, you know, I even debated saying anything because I was afraid for my career and future. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the right thing to do. So like, I've never thought about how like extra vulnerable women in STEM are and like the amount of like opportunities to be exploited, like not just like situational, but like, like where you are like what time is it like are you alone but like how they have like money they can use against you like your success in your career that you've been working so hard for and like like you care about so much and then like your educational opportunities and like like respect of your peers and of your professors it's like so much riding on like their their influence and it's like honestly like and i and i think about like um you know, sexual violence and um, abuse and, like, power dynamics and consent, like, so much, because, like, I, I do this work all the time, but, like, I honestly, like, I've never, like, really dug into it this much, and, like, hearing from you is, like, really, um, like, interesting, but, like, saddening and, like, obviously, like, terrifying, uh, and it's, like, what, like, how do you even, like, start to, to, like, protect the people in those situations? I don't know. It's, like, it's such a big... I don't know. It's it's it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, guess I'm a little bit in awe about just how how big the situation is. Well, so here's the thing. Um, I'm so glad you said that because see, you, we don't realize these things, but there is this massive push, which is wonderful and amazing, to get girls interested in STEM professions, and there's this push to get women into STEM um, professions as well, including women of color. Um, uh, you know, the stats are alarming when you look at the statistics of how many women there are actually in these fields. I think the last one I saw was that women only make up 28% of um, the, the workforce in STEM professions. But the thing is, if we're promoting and pushing and trying to get these girls and women into STEM fields, we're kind of setting them up for failure because once they get there, they now have these targets to say that there's free range on abuse and nothing can protect them. If something happens, their abuser, you know, if it's a, if it's a man, most likely, or even if it's a woman, is Title IX going to do enough 
you know, are, are they going to protect people that are being um, in bad situations? So, so th- there needs to be more done. The foundation um, is really lacking. And I know that for me because I didn't even know what Title IX was. Um, and here I was thinking, like, you know, I'm going to be a doctor, a physician scientist, but never in my life did I ever think that I would need help in, you know, protecting myself against an abuser. Yeah, definitely. I think um, kind of talking a little bit about like how we can change this and also like I agree with like the the focus on women in STEM. I also want to say to that point, like uh, when you were talking earlier and you were mentioning like a lot of um, the ways that we can fix it are like changing the power dynamic and like um, that learning about like people like Anita Hill um or Christine Blasey Ford is like makes a difference because you're hearing about you know multiple people like coming up and talking about it um I think that's one reason that like it can be important to encourage women into STEM as long as you're you know actually protecting those you aren't just like sending them headfirst into something that's you know I mean dangerous to a point where you know because sexual assault like it happens so often um I like I th- I definitely see an issue with just like this relentless like get women in STEM get women in STEM but like no change to like the systems of maybe why women like aren't choosing STEM um but it you know in general I think it's really helpful to like actually have women there um so that you can kind of you know have more power power in numbers and like in people to trust and all of that I think that's a really important part of change Right. Oh, sorry. I was <laughs> quickly say like thinking about like getting women to STEM like like it's so important to like be able to too because like not only like do we need to like build up like a better foundation now but like getting women to STEM will like create that better foundation like having like a better like more diversity um like with like race and gender and like everything of just like having more people representing like STEM as like uh, a a field and like who is like in power like who is teaching who is in the administrative positions like not just having it be like this like like everyone's just like an old white man and like you have to like battle through it to like get what you need from them well unfortunately the reality is that as of today the majority are old white men um, so things need to change and it, it's, it takes time, but I think we need to speed up time and just get more women in STEM and, and get more women of color in STEM leadership roles, not just women like working admin or doing research, like in leadership roles as directors, you know, at these great universities, cause they're just as capable. Um, you know, I agree. I'd like to ask, um, Nicole, we started to kind of touch on the topic of, you know, Mending, and especially in the future, you know, what what can we do to, to make things better? But I'd like to kind of maybe touch on, for you personally, how did you go about um, healing and um, maybe trying to start mending um, what had been broken for you um, and, you know, the, the self-care things that you went through or 
things you told yourself, you know, what, what would you say that your personal steps for healing and mending were? Uh, thank you for asking that, Ela. Um, so for me, uh, I felt like, so I had started to feel like I had lost myself, like I had no confidence, like I was pretending and like, here I am, a medical student doing all these great things, but I would stop and just, you know, feel so low. And so that had to change. So I started to see um, a counselor or, you know, because it was COVID, I started to talk to a counselor um, through BetterHelp. And I, she was a godsend. Like, I'm so thankful for her. I haven't talked or heard from her since uh, probably like months and months ago, but she was the one that was like, you need to um, recognize what's going on. And this is abuse and it's dangerous and get away from him. I'm so thankful for her. So my first thing, and I was too embarrassed and afraid to even tell my family or like my friends or even anyone at the university. So for me, like I thought I was doing it, you know, just for myself, I would talk to her and I did. So that was number one. And I cannot stress how important it is to just talk even anonymously um, to just talk about what's happening. It helps so much and, and you're not being judged and they're just there to listen. So that was number one. Um, but my situation was pretty unique because I was also being stalked and harassed by being hacked. So he had access to everything. Like my emails were being checked, my text messages to my parents, um, you know, audible accounts, everything I was ordering on Amazon. So if I was ordering self-help books or, you know, groceries, um, even like Amazon, so like movies that I was watching because movies are a good way to kind of decompress and, um, not think for a little bit, but then I got scared. And so that was another thing of fear was he was watching everything I was doing. So I stopped using all of that. Like I, I couldn't even listen to music cause you know, I didn't want him knowing what I was listening to. So for me, I went back to just, um, affirmations. So kind of just taught like self coaching and telling myself, you know, you know, what he's doing is wrong. I did nothing wrong or just saying I will be okay. Like I will survive like this. This I'm not going to let this take, take, take over. I'm not going to let him get in the way of my dreams and my career and my goals. Um, so kind of just self affirmations for myself to stay positive. And then eventually it was just doing like yoga. Um, cause that's something I could do by myself quietly and he would never know or be able to log into something. Um, and then gradually it was reading. So I started reading a lot to understand what was happening. Um, because I still was having a very hard time dealing with it, um, that this had even happened to me. So when I would talk about myself, I would like put myself in third person, like, sh and call her like she instead of myself. So I was trying to like isolate and pretend it wasn't me, but it was me. Um, so a lot of it was just reading. And then I kind of reading about just, you know, very traumatic experiences kind of made me feel a lot more down. So I started, so I do a lot of sports. So I started reading a lot of like, um, this is going to sound silly, but I started reading a lot of books about Kobe Bryant <laughs> and like, like basketball stars and hockey stars and these really awesome like athletes who like persevered through everything. And they just were like top of the top cream of the crop. <laughs> and so I kind of got into that, like, you know, athletic mindset to be like, okay, we can overcome this. And I was kind of like self-coaching that way. Um, there's actually a really good book called Relentless um, by a guy named Glover, and he kind of talks about that kind of stuff, and it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. It's like my Bible right now because it really kind of makes you overcome and stay professional and, like, 
you know, be who you are. Um, so I think it was a lot of that. But at the end of the day, I, I'm not done healing and I don't think I will be for a long time. But I think for me, sharing the message um, is a part of that. Being on this podcast is a part of that and kind of just using my voice because a lot of girls don't talk about it and women don't talk about it in STEM. And so now I'm in this position where I can and I want to so that it never happens to anybody else again, not to any, you know, it, just so that girls can identify what's happening or women can say like, this is wrong. It shouldn't be happening and they shouldn't be scared. So I think that's part of, part of it. But for me, I know it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long process. Um, I think that's very interesting. And I think like, I like that, you know, your healing process and like the things that, even though like a lot of outlets that like traditionally we we would be able to use for healing were stripped away from you I think I found it like very impressive and very commendable that like you were still able to uh like get yourself into a better place and obviously like it's a long process but that you're still like working on it and now like advocating for it I think that's um for me like one of the best ways to you know like, like I think like I mean different things feel good for other every person but like to try to like help other people and like get the message out because like especially like your situation like I've learned a lot and like there's a lot of things that I didn't know and hopefully there's a lot of things that um like are you know anybody listening might want to know so I think that's uh really commendable and really impressive but then also just that like healing is different for every person obviously whether it's like books about sports or like you know, anything else, like, like, or, like, yoga or whatever, like, some people might, like, that might do nothing for them, um, and, like, it's just a very personal thing, and, like, every situation is very different, and I just find that really interesting. It is really, like, inspiring, and I'm so happy that you reached out to us, because, like, like Leah said, like, it's, we have, like, learned so much, and, like, just from hearing, like, your specific perspective, like, I've never... I haven't really looked into things like in that field. Yeah, sorry. I just I wanted to say that I really, I really appreciated your point on you know talking and how important talking is because I think that that's such a huge part of it, especially um, like you said, talking to a counselor or talking anonymously to. I mean, in our area, we have MCBP, Monarch Center for Violence Prevention, um, where you can call anonymously and kind of rant and express and ask questions and I think that's so important but also on the level of kind of talking like this um more in a sense of I guess with the intentions of helping others which kind of both Leah and Nicole were touching on but in any sense I feel like talking and communicating and sharing and so that people don't feel alone so that you don't feel alone so that you feel heard and um, to educate and just for so many purposes, I just think that that's such a talking is just such a good point and communication is such a good point. And I really agree with that. I was just going to say, so, so part of when I was like trying to find things about to read and to understand things, you know, I turned, I finally turned to podcasts and your podcast was the only thing that came up for title nine. <laughs> so I think that's super awesome for you girls because literally it's the only when you type in title nine it's the only podcast that comes up um and i think i i forget when i messaged you leah but around that time it was i think a few days before it was um december 6th and december 6th is a big day in canada because there was this really big 
um, attack on women in Montreal. It was like, it was called the Montreal Massacre in 1989, where a man walked into um, a building um, at the University of Montreal and he shot and killed 14 women. And he said he was defending um, feminine or he was fighting, he was a fight against feminism, but he had literally separated the men in the classroom from the women. And he, and he went up, he attacked the women, he killed them. And that, that, that feminism um, for women who were just trying to study engineering um, and then listening to this podcast, it was like, okay, I have to say something. Like I have to use my voice, you know, at the end of the day, like you can have no money, you could have <laughs> nothing. Um, but if you have your voice and, and what you've learned, you should share that and, and educate others. So, yeah, I think that's, I really appreciate, and we all really appreciate that you did that. And like, I agree. I, I had heard about that, um, probably because of like the anniversary of it. And, but yeah, like just kind of what you said about, you know, if we have the information, we have the tools um, we might as well, like, do our best to teach other people, and I think, like, you know, the three of us, like, we're all in a group called End Sexual Violence on Campus, so obviously, you know, we agree with that, that we're trying, like, doing our best to spread this message, and even if we're the only podcast under Title IX, at least there's something now, because a year ago there wasn't, if you think about it like that, um, and yeah, like, we all just have to do our best as people who maybe know a little bit more about Title IX than the average person or a little bit more about sexual violence to try to spread that knowledge and especially like in hopes uh, that like it would reach somebody like who really needs it, who might need the information on reporting or just need the information that, you know, it's not their fault or anything that happened to them isn't their fault. I agree with Mia. I think that, um, after kind of hearing that wraparound um, with Nicole kind of saying how she listened to the Title Nine podcast and it brought her here and, you know, just talking. Um, I think that might might be a good place to start to wrap up. Um, I think that, I know Lauren's having trouble talking, but she asked us to tell you that for Lauren and everyone else in SBOC and, and Leah and I were so appreciative that you reached out to us and that you shared your story with us. It's so so hard to do and it's so hard to talk about it's so hard to stand up and go against the green and we really appreciate you sharing that with us even further than you know possibly re-traumatizing yourself here today and going through what you've gone through and um yes we just wanted to say thank you for coming and for talking it is my pleasure i think you girls are amazing and you're doing great work i think You've hit it like you've hit the nail on the head with starting this in high school. It's so important. I wish I knew what this was in high school. <laughs> I like literally I'm in grad school and I just found out what Title IX was. Like it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but I think your podcast will be listened to by women, you know, professors. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do what I can to share the message because it's so important. Um, you know, in the in the words of the Honorable Elijah Cummings, who is the chair of the United States Oversight Committee, we are better than this. That's something he always said. He um, he was a part of Baltimore City, but he always said, we are better than this, which means, you know, abusers are abusers, but we're better than this. And we shouldn't be settling for um, wrong actions. And we should be speaking out. And it's, it's equality. It's gender equality. It's human rights. Just the basics. Um, it's part of education. So thank you for, for your podcast. Yeah. 
thank you so much and um also thank you so much to our listeners um i hope you enjoyed this episode we all really enjoyed it and yeah a final thank you to nicole for recording with us and we'll see you next time Mm -hmm.